to one and all here tonight, and so good to have you all in the house and uh, to come and join us as we come around the Word of God. Also, a big welcome to our podcast congregation, and we've got a great po podcast congregation now, and uh, we all pray that you feel just right at home, and even those on the podcast, I, I pray that you feel part and included as part of this ministry, and because you are. And uh, of recent weeks, since we started the beginning of the New Year, as we've embarked on this New Year, we've talked about vision and hope for the year ahead, for the year 2024. I spoke about the role that as God commanded the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 2 and verse 2 to write the vision, and uh, which plays an important and strategic element in setting out this year's endeavor in God. And I pray that most of you would have put pen to paper by now and wrote, wrote out the vision that God had commanded, not, a, not an idle suggestion, but it is actually a strategic thing to do. And there's something supernatural seems to happen when we put pen to paper and uh, things begin to materialise when we do so. We also saw the spiritual laws that are released when we, as Paul explained in Romans chapter 10 and verses 8 to 10, that if we confess with our mouth with a believing heart, that possession of the confession becomes a reality. Isn't that amazing? The confession, uh, that possession of the confession becomes a reality. Why? Because the spirit realm is voice activated and we declare and we are surrounded by a world that is largely built by the words that we ourselves speak. So the Bible says you shall declare a thing and it shall be established for you. So it's a spiritual law. And, and, the, and Paul said that if you confess Jesus, then you will possess him. And so that spiritual law also pertains to all other areas of our life. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can I have an hallelujah back there? Oh, I knew I could count on you. That was wonderful. But here is revealed a spiritual law that is applied to every aspect of your life. In that one verse alone, also go to Mark 11, 22 and 24. Have faith in God. Whosoever says to this mountain, be thou removed, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, he will have whatever he says. And so in other words, it's saying whosoever can have whatsoever. Amen? So what you speak into being with the declared words of our mouth, we are responsible for. And so the important role that confessing, speaking, declaring and decreeing over the vision that God has for your life cannot be ignored. Amen? So when God has given you a vision or you begin to write the vision, you begin to declare the word of the Lord over that vision. You're not motivated by how you feel. You're not motivated by what you see. You are motivated by what you believe. Amen? And so that we do indeed possess what we confess. And so last Sunday, expanding on that theme, we then looked at living for the cause of Christ. And I have found that people who live for a purpose or who live for a cause have got a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And they live longer lives and they live fulfilled lives because they live for purpose. I don't believe people actually die when they take their last breath. They die when they lose a purpose for their life. And they're called the living dead. Amen? And there's plenty of living dead people around us. Get out of bed in the morning, the, the eyes are to the window to the soul, you look into their face and there's not much there because they're people who are not living for a purpose nor a reason. So 
Even Jesus said in John 18, 37, he says, For this cause, I was born for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. So you and I have a cause to live for, and that is to bear witness to the truth. So when you write your vision, confess your vision, that vision should also witness to the truth, as Jesus' own life was a witness to the truth. And how powerful is that truth? Well, I think that the, the truth is powerful in God. Rome brought nations throughout the empire into subjection with the sword. But the God's kingdom, that is the stone cut without human hands, designed or, or, or uh, declared in the book of Daniel, that kingdom of God will consume all kingdoms and will be the truth of God and the sword of the Spirit as described in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Every kingdom of the earth will be subdued by the kingdom of God and the Lord doesn't use a sword but he uses truth. Amen? So p truth is powerful. And, and whenever you hear somebody say, that is my truth, know that they do not have the truth because there is one truth and here it is. It's here. Oh, you can hold it above your head. That is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's the plumb line. It's the datum point by which all things are measured. Amen? Everything is measured by this word of God. And so um, the young David declared when Goliath came out to defy the armies of the living God, he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? He heard that defiant, ugly-headed Goliath coming down that mountain, defying the armies of the living God. But David, just the shepherd boy, delivering a few cheeses and some bread, said, is there not a cause? And that word cause in the Hebrew is the word devar, which means a word. Is there not a word? That's what it says. That's the direct translation. Is there not a word? And that word devar means, is there not a cause? Is there not a purpose? Is there not a reason? You and I have got a big reason to live. Amen. Is there not a word, a speech, or a matter? And that word devar was always used to convey a command or a royal decree. Whenever a prophet said anything, it was always a devar, it was a word. And when related to the word, it was always to convey a divine communication. And David could see there was a divine communication to go in and possess the land, subdue the nations, amen? We've got a word from the Lord to go in and possess the land. For the gospel of sake, for, for the cause of Christ. We've got a reason, we've got a purpose. When we get out of bed in the morning, we've got the cause of Christ is what should captivate our lives to the very, very end. And even as Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly division. Amen. He was not disobedient to the heavenly word. And when the Lord sent him out, he said, who are you, Lord, and what must I do? And so with, the, with, the, uh, with his conversion came a mandate and a mission. And I pray that you know what a, your mission is too. And so the correlation between knowledge, purpose, vision, revelation are all aided by these spiritual principles. To have a vision, to write the vision, to confess the vision, to know what cause you're living for, to know what purpose you get out of bed in the morning. The cause of Christ should be enough for all of us. Amen? So tonight I would like to bring a focus on one more spiritual principle. And I call spiritual principles because we only consume an elephant one bite at a time. And so it's almost like just putting another arrow into that quiver. And you can pull that arrow out any time that you want. Amen. And you've got a choice of arrows. Tonight I want to reveal to you another arrow for your quiver in seeing your vision established. To turn a pipe dream into something of substance. Who likes to have a pipe dream? 
I mean, a, a pipe dream is just something, it's a bit elusive though, isn't it? Or that potential that's in you and you, it's not being realised and you're not sure how to get it out. It remains a pipe dream till you can put some substance to it. But all these spiritual principles laid one over the other will see that materialise and come to pass. So I want to speak not on the X factor tonight, but I want to speak on the God factor on seeking God. And what that quiver will be, or what that arrow will be when it's in your quiver. What differentiates you from all, from you and I, from all the other peoples of the earth, is this God factor. And how do we obtain this God factor? By seeking God. To seek God should not be a last resort, but should be the port of call in all seasons of our life. Who knows that sometimes we get to the absolute end of our rope, and then we begin to call out on God. Well, you don't have to wait that long. The children of Israel were 400 years in bondage and then they said they cried out to God. Well, you don't have to wait 400 years. You don't have to wait four minutes. You don't have to wait four seconds. You can do it right now. Amen? Can I have an hallelujah out there? Oh, that's good stuff, isn't it? It's good. You can seek God and call upon him. Call upon him while he is near. You can call upon him right now for whatever situation you may be in. Or for loved ones in whatever situation, they, you can call on God on their behalf and see the hand of the Lord and see a heavenly intervention in your earthly situation. So the title of my message tonight is Seek the Lord. And God commands the prophet Isaiah, and you'll know this in Isaiah, I think it's 55 verse 6, and he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. While he may be found. Straight away that indicates to me that God cannot always be found. We seem to think as humans, that, oh, I'll just call upon him when I'm 70 years old. I live a life of sin and in the last breathing thing, I'll call the priest and he'll wave some smoke over me and then I'll be, I'll be all cool. He'll give me the last rites and everything like that. Now, I was raised up as a Catholic and we believe those sorts of things. Amen? And, uh, but the Bible says very clearly that you can seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. Amen? So with the, the mere fact that you're listening to this message tonight means that you are seeking God. And if you've got an ear to hear what the Spirit of God, God will speak. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So some of these great benefits of seeking the Lord, Psalm 34 verse 4 and I think David says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. One of the great benefits, one is when you seek the Lord, he will hear you. There's a promise for you. When you seek God, he will hear you. What a promise. It's not like you're speaking out into thin air and not expecting the answer. And, and we know, Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So when you seek the Lord, you can expect an answer. And the word of the Lord will go into bat for you straight away. And he says, and then it goes on, and delivered me from all my fears. Oh, God wants to deliver you from all your fears right now tonight. If you've got a fear in the... He says, be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all, transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Amen? And he says, and delivered me from all my fears. It's good stuff. It's good. These are promises from God. 
Second Peter 1 4 it says, Unto us have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that by these and through these that you would become partakers of the divine nature of God. Great promises. So that word seek in the original Hebrew, there is a Hebrew name called bakash, and it means to seek, to diligently look for. So this seeking thing is not something really that's idle. It's something that we actively pursue. And we search earnestly until the object of the search is located. And people say, oh, I tried that religion thing and it didn't work for me. But the Bible's very clear that you search till you find Whoever goes after a treasure hunt and just cuts out halfway through it, no, you, if the lady with the lost coin in the house, she's searched till she found that coin. A pearl of great price, you're going to put out a diligent search till you find what you're looking for. When you search for Jesus, he will be found by you. That's a promise. In other words, don't cut off just because he hasn't appeared to you in the first second. And so more than 200-odd times that word bakash is found in the Bible, to search out by any method, specifically for the Christian believer, it's through worship and generally in prayer and through the Word of God. When we search the Scriptures daily, that's what we do, we search the Scriptures daily till they begin to sing to us, till they begin to speak to us. And the Spirit of God, which was present when the Word of God was written, needs to be present when we read the Word of God to decipher it as we read it. We need the writer, the, the author of the finisher of our faith. He needs to be present when we read this Word of God to make it live and active and real and begin to sing to you. And it will. And it will. And to strive after, to ask, to beg, to beseech, to desire, to inquire, to get to make, to inquire, to procure, to seek for. So to seek is not an aimless or casual, but it's intentional and it's proactive. It's purposeful in God. To seek God, but it's something that's purpose you desire. You get out, in the morning, out of bed in the morning, you're going to go to the place of prayer. You're going to go to the place of the Word, and you're not content until you hear the Word of God or you hear the voice of God. Amen. You're not content just to read words like it's a doctrine or something like that. Jesus didn't die on the cross for a doctrine. He didn't die on the cross for a theology. Even though there's a theology contained, he died on the cross for a relationship with you. And you seek somebody's uh, audience or their ear so that you can inquire, so that you can have a, a dialogue, not a monologue. Who likes to have monologue prayer? You do all the talking? You do no listening? That's not a relationship, see? It's dialogue. Both parties are active. And so to illustrate this imperative need of seeking God for our lives on a continual basis, to see the vision for your life materialize, we're in the month of January we're setting and recalibrating our lives. We want to see the hand of the Lord move in 2024 over your business, over your family, over your relationships, over your children, over your finances, over your spiritual goals. You are, your walk with God needs to be closer and closer on a daily basis. And so, um, but these things I've found don't really come by accident. And uh, but to see the vision for your lives materialize, come to pass and be sustained. And once having seen that, even those visions begin to materialize, how do you sustain that heavenly vision for your life? How do you sustain it? The answer is the same, to continue to seek the Lord. Once we sought the Lord and we continue to seek the Lord and seeing that vision materialize and come to pass. 
And so I'd love if you would turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles and chapter 14, and I'm going to go paraphrase and whisk through about three chapters. I'm not going to read through all of it, but I want you to just uh, circle those things, Second Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16, and I've looked at the leadership of King Asa, and he was the third king of Judah. After the kingdom was divided from Israel and Judah, Judah had its own kings. Uh, this is after the death of Solomon. And Asa was the third king in that time of Judah. And uh, these three chapters of Second Chronicles highlight, they don't highlight a monetary policy, a foreign affairs strategy or any such thing, but they highlight this king and his kingdom rose and this kingdom fell. It succeeded and it declined. It prospered and prevailed, declined, and based on the command to seek the Lord. And if there is any one king, and I've read through this many, many, to dozens of times, in fact, and I have seen this king more than any other rise and fall on his ability to seek the Lord. Three chapters covers this one word, to seek and also the corresponding words, when you seek the Lord, the rest that is imparted at the same time. Somehow the word, when you seek God, there is always a corresponding rest that comes to your life when you do. Doesn't matter whether you're still in a situation of warfare or defending yourself or any one of these things, there is a peace of God amidst the turmoil, and that is the gospel message. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so uh, I'd like then to go for uh, Second Chronicles, to seek the world, uh, Lord while he may be found. Not an idle suggestion, but it is a command for our good. And I believe God wants to prosper to you today in every area and every endeavor and vision for your life. And so going to uh, 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 Second Chronicles chapter 14, and I'm going to whisk through this fairly quickly. And, uh, and it says, Asa, in verse 2, Asa did what was right, uh, good and right, in the eyes of the Lord his God. Uh, Asa was what, what you would call one of the good kings. And apparently of all the kings uh, in Judea, in the northern tribe of Israel, there were 19 kings and not one was good. Not one. And when the kingdom was divided in the northern, tri in the northern kingdom of Israel, not one of the 19 kings was good. In the southern kingdom of Judah, there were 20 kings, and, it's, and it's, uh, some, some theologians put down five good kings. It depend, depends on how you really work it out. At the most, eight reasonably good kings. But there were definitely five good kings, and Asa was one of those kings. And it says uh, in verse 4, he commanded Judah, this is his command, he, he demanded Judah as a king, to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. What a great king. He commanded his people to seek the Lord. And that is using your influence for good. We know in the northern kingdom that the king Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they convinced all their people to turn to the, to the, to the wicked idols and, the, and Baal worship and sacrificing of their children in the fire, serving the god of Molech. But Asa was a good king and he commanded his people to seek the Lord. The reign of Asa, the third king of Judah, is marked at every stage of his life and rulership by seeking and or not seeking God. 
His life, rulership rose and fell on this one mighty God factor of seeking or not seeking God. And so uh, we see there, and uh, because he, he also removed the high places, the incense altars from the cities and from the whole region where he had kingship over. So the whole region of Judah was expelled from all f- false worship. And he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. And that's what comes when you seek God. It's a couplet. When you seek God, rest is all, all automatically there. Isn't it amazing? You seek God, your situation may not have changed, but rest comes. Who needs? Who would like some rest? Who likes the idea of being able to sleep, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of problems? Of, it's called life. Even in those tough times, you can still have rest. And uh, also, and he, one of the reasons he had no rest was because he had no war, of the, because the Lord had given him rest. And so when you seek God, generally the, there is no wars. And so uh, therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities. And I'll uh, just skip through a little bit. While the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, that's seeking God, we have sought him, it says again, and he has given us rest. There it says it again. On every side, so they built and they prospered. Isn't that good? When you seek God, enemies are generally warded off, and then you have rest and you're able to build. In other words, you're able to fulfill the vision of God when you have rest on your life. Who knows it's difficult to build anything when you're harassed? How difficult was it for Nehemiah to build the wall when they were harassed and they had to have a spear in one hand and a trowel in the other? There's nothing worse. It's it's a divided focus. It's It's not a focus at all. But in this, in this time there arose, in, uh, in verse 9, an Ethiopian army of a million men. Who knows that a million men is a lot of people? That is a lot of Ethiopians. Can you say that? That is a lot of Ethiopians. <laughs> I wouldn't like to face a million Ethiopians, not even on a good day. But it's interesting to note that King Asa sought the Lord. In verse 11, and Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, is it nothing for you to help, whether with many or with few? Those who have no power, help us, O Lord our God, and we rest in you. You can rest in God. There's a million Ethiopians breathing down on little King Asa. He had a couple of hundred thousand troops himself, but nowhere near a million. And yet he said, we can rest in you. And in your name, we go out against the multitude, Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And it says there that the Lord went into bat for them and struck down some of those enemies. And what was King Asa's job then? To reap in all the spoil. See what it is when you begin to see God. And even when the, when the, when the enemy had come in, He cried out to God. He sought the Lord. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Great, isn't it? You can fight a decent battle when you're not consumed with fear. When you're consumed with fear, the greatest enemy is fear itself. Now, the Spirit of God, now this is amazing. We go now, I'm going to go through uh, uh, three chapters here. So chapter 15 now. And it says, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he, was, he prophesied to King Asa, and he says, the Lord is with you while you were with him. If you seek him, 
There it is again. Do you see the, the, common, uh, the, the common subject of this whole king's reign is seeking God. Tonight I'm so speaking specifically in regard to your vision to seek God and for your life to seek God. He says he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. What a promise. What a promise. But the Lord's never hidden his agenda from us. And so for a long time, Israel had been without the true God. And it says in verse 4, But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by, him, by them. Isn't it amazing? This whole kingship revolves totally around this word about seeking God. And so, uh, and so the Lord delivered him and, and uh, he won a great victory. In verse 12 of chapter 15, what happened is uh, we heard in, in uh, chapter 14 that uh, King Asa encouraged everybody to seek the Lord. In verse 12 of chapter 15, he says, Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord. Isn't that amazing? I've never read this about anybody, any other king. But he encouraged, the, and more than encouraged, he, he, uh, he entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their hearts and with all their soul. And verse 13, and whoever would not seek the Lord, there was a great, there was a death penalty actually. So that's not so good, is it? This is Old Testament stuff. Verse 15, and all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him. There is seeking God again with all their heart, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. You see how all this seeking God and rest uh, seem to go hand in hand in all these three chapters. Who would like some rest in your life? Hey? Who would like some rest? I do. I'd like some rest. I like rest. I like to be able to sleep peacefully. I like to go about my day not in turmoil or being anxious. And being anxious for nothing is a command, I know. But when things are plaguing your mind, it's good. And when we begin to seek God, I talked to a man today and I said, he had to make some major decisions. And I said, wherever you find peace or rest, that will be the right way for you. You're standing in the hallway with so many doorways to push on. And I says, as you push on a door and it, and it imparts rest, and as you continue to walk through that door and you continue to walk in that rest, I find that for my own life a great guide for what you should do. Jules and I have worked with that principle for many years now, and it's been a good thing for us. And so here we come now to the end of chapter 15, and I have to say things take a dramatic turn. And uh, so some of these great benefits that King Asher had enjoyed for all his years as a ruler, he built fortified cities, there was very little war, there was rest mentioned no less than five times. He prospered. His enemies were destroyed. He carried away the spoil. He took their livestock. He entered into a covenant and he brought the whole uh, kingship into that covenant and all the people. But in chapter 16, we see a change of heart and a change of response. And the king of Israel, it says, came against Asa. So that's the northern kingdom of Israel came upon King Asa's Judah. That's the southern kingdom. Stay with me just for a minute. And it says here that uh, King Asa used all the national treasury money to buy himself some military support. 
When he was a young king, he didn't call anybody for military support. He didn't empty out the nation's treasure chest to go and buy some foreign legions, Assyrian army in this case, being unequally yoked with another nation to call for help. All he did was call on God, and God delivered him from a million Ethiopians. Amazing. But in the last six years of his reign, it says here that the king of Israel came down to that southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is, and he didn't call upon God. He didn't seek God. And he sought an earthly solution to what was a heavenly situation. And he didn't, he, he was, God loved his early ministry and his kingship because King Asher, a young king, called upon God. He knew he needed God. And sometimes when we're young and we need God, we call out to God and he delivers us and, and gives us great success. But sometimes when we get older, we sort of, sort of put God aside. We know now, we're mature, we know everything. We know everything. Who's ever been like that? You've gained confidence in our own abilities. And we come undone. And King Asa started so well. Started so well. And in the last six years of his ministry, the word King Asa, seeking God, is not to be found. Not to be found at all. And so God sent him a prophet again. And he says, uh, and at the time, it says, Hanai the seer, a seer is another name for a prophet, and uh, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria, in other words, he unequally yoked himself to a foreign king, and he says, you've not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. And he reminded him, he says, were the Ethiopians, were they too many for you and the Lord when you were young? And so in verse 9, I'll read it out word for word. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. And you see, there's that word rest, that word peace, and that word having no enemies is nowhere to be found. And we're drawing close now to the end of Asa's reign. And the only place it says here, the word seek, it says, you did not seek the Lord. And there became upon him, he had a sickness. And he says, but the, phys and, uh, and so he, he sought uh, for uh, a cure. And so in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and, uh, and it was severe. Yet in this disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. You see, he was commanded to seek the Lord all his life. And... Uh, and so he, he died in the 41st year of his reign. Just as Jules comes to the keys right now. And so in these three chapters, I believe one of the greatest successes to seeing your vision for the year materialize, turn from a pipe dream into something that is substantial, something that has substance. Faith has substance, amen? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is here and faith is now. We apply our faith to the things of God, to the vision of God, to see it materialize for you. But once having and walking in that plan and purposes of God for your life, how do we sustain that plan and purpose for your God? And it's not only just seeking God for the vision for your life, but it's seeking God to maintain that vision for your life. And when I was young, I was so passionate for God. 
really, really passionate. I fasted some years more than I ate. Just passionate. Out in the paddock nearly every night till 11 or 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, out in the bush. That was Jeff. And, but we can cool off, can't we? We can get sophisticated. We can even become a civilised Christian. Who likes civilised Christians? And I think one of the worst things that can happen to... One of the worst things that can happen to a boxer in the ring is when he becomes civilised. And when they got that raw, just that raw passion for what they do, they're unstoppable. And I believe an uncivilised Christian is unstoppable. He just seeks God. Just stand to our feet. I sense a presence of God right now. I just sense God on that. And somehow we can become so sophisticated in our walk with God. And... Uh, and uh, who knows when we were young, we went out and prayed and we just didn't know any better, but we just believed God. We had nowhere to go. The doctors had no answer. The bank had no answer for us. He's declared you bankrupt. I had a mate, he was a million dollars in debt. And he just believed God and he tithed his way out of debt. Can you believe it? He was technically bankrupt, but he tithed and gave his way out of debt. I think in that year when he was declared bankrupt, he gave $100,000 to the church, amen? He gave his way and he just saw, he grabbed hold of the principles of God and there was an un, something uncivilized but something unstoppable about that sort of faith. And I think to continue to seek God for, till the day that the Lord brings you home, amen? Let's not, let's not get too civilized in our Christian walk and come back to just the raw seeking of God, Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring this word before your throne of grace. I pray, Father, release this word over to those listening on the podcast. I release it over every single person here tonight. That to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I pray this word, Father God, will not return to you void. But, Father, you would cause something, a spark. Reignite, Father God, that passion in us to seek you, Lord God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with everything that is within us, Father God. I pray let us not become so sophisticated and civilized in our Christian walk, Lord. But let us begin, Father, to get back out onto that paddock and seek you, Lord God, with everything that is within us, I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
Keep